DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Mike Smith, jazz studio analyst, joins us right now on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain state-of-the-art. Smart Irrigation Controller helps with first-class water management. Visit SmartRain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs or call 877-346-3333. Mike, good morning. Hi, guys. How are you? We're doing well. We have questions about the Jazz. Curious your answers. I got them for you. Maybe I got them. (laughs) So... We all wonder how the Jazz could be so bad against really bad teams, against the bottom of the NBA, and now they look like the team that we thought they could be, thought they should be, thought they would be, depending on where you fall on the the fan spectrum with your expectations. But certainly this is at least the ballpark people were hoping and expecting, as opposed to losing to the Magic and losing to the Pelicans. I mean, those are two of the three worst teams in the NBA. So how do they go four and five over nine games and just, just not look anything like what we thought they should be? And now, man, if you turned on the third quarter, as you expected, I was watching you at halftime, that was a beautiful thing. Jazz fans everywhere are like, yes. So what happened? How did it happen? Yeah, yeah that was fun. Um and thank you for watching. That, that means something if you're watching, because you know a lot about basketball. But um, Darn expert. Listen, the, the Orlando loss was just a, a road loss, right? They gave belief and hope to a young team, and a guy caught fire, Cole Anthony, and made plays down the stretch. I think that was a game they played without Mike Conley. And then the New Orleans loss is – your example of when you don't take care of the ball and have solid possessions down the stretch. They have two really bad long threes. Uh, they made a dribbling turnover and then even missed like a free throw down the stretch, which, which gave New Orleans a chance. And then give New Orleans a chance. This Devontae Grant comes down and makes a 28-footer on the fly at the buzzer. So those things can happen. But if you remember... At the end of that game, Donovan kind of went on the press conference and he said, this is on me. You know, this is, I won't let this happen again. I need to be better. I will be better. And doggone it, that kid since that moment has been nothing short of, you know, Jordan-esque. He's been so terrific. I think I end up saying on the telecast or, you know, in the postgame or halftime, it's always darkest before dawn. You know, not D-A-W-N, but D-O-N, because he senses the moment comes to life. And I'll tell you another thing. Early on, they weren't shooting the ball, and we talked about it. You guys were talking about it. Guys were not making shots. Even before last night's game, I I challenged at least the viewers to see if Clarkson and Bogey could begin to make threes on the road after the long homestand where – you know, 10 out of 12 at home, you got more practice time, you got more individual time, you can go check into the facility at 10 at night and get shots up. I kind of felt like their, their shots would come around. And those guys combined for 10 threes last night, and they dismantled a Minnesota team, which has been pretty good of late. Like, at first glance, you'd say, oh, they've lost three in a row and now four in a row. But in reality, they've won seven of 11. And, you know, beating some decent teams like Miami and Memphis. And, and I don't even put the Memphis buzzer beater as a, as a loss because Memphis is fourth in the West. They're pretty good. 
You played on those uh, Celtic teams that had some legendary players, Hall of Fame players, and I'm wondering their mindset. They were veteran guys, and this Jazz group, Mitchell's still young, but he's a veteran. And then you got other guys, Conley, Joe, Bogey. They, they're they're most definitely veterans, and they understand that as we all do. The season is going to be defined, the ultimate grade is going to be assigned based on the playoffs. And that's only a few teams that can put themselves in that category. And if you're in that category, that means you're very good to begin with. So how is it, as you relate to when back when you saw Bird, McHale, and those guys go through these sort of mind-numbing slew of never-ending games that you just have to play before you can get to the point where, all right, now this is going to be where you're judged? Because I don't want to say they sleepwalk through some of these games, but they know that, I mean, they got to win these games now, but it's really important to win the games at the end because that's at this level of this team, that's how they're going to be judged. So how difficult is it just to play through these never-ending list of games in these cities that you can't even remember in two or three weeks? Uh, PK, let me give an example. If I'm too old to play competitive most of anything, right? So, like, but if my kids take me to Provo Rec Center and challenge me, I might think it's fun in games at the beginning and I might prepare haphazardly. But once we start playing and there's either money on the line or pride on the line, then juices flow and whatever's in you. And I think every guy has that element of whatever's in them to some degree. It, it lights up. So it, it, it begins to, you know, burn with fire and nobody likes to lose. And so anybody who makes it to this level, like it's incredibly difficult to make it to this level. You know, I don't know what the odds are, whether it's one in a million or one in two million, but you make it to the NBA. There's something inside you that got you through high school tournaments and you know, winning MVP of your high school conference, becoming a college player and a college starter and putting time in the weight room. And, and it just it just goes like that. And so it is the cream of the crop that rises. And not everybody's journey is the same, right? Look at Gobert, who comes to the game late, or Donovan, who's the 13th pick and supposed to be a journeyman NBA player and maybe make an all-star team if he gets in the right situation. Or... You know, you're the first, second, third pick in the draft. And, you know, it's kind of written in stone what's going to happen because your talent is so rich. The guys I played with in Boston were mostly of the latter sort. College All-Americans, you know, who were incredible and, and burned with desire. And so Bird was that way, and he was the leader of our pack. And so Bird used to always say, I I don't want to be here in Cleveland, you know? And we were flying commercially back then. He goes, crap, you think I want to fly to Cleveland and that lousy weather and stay in a hotel room and go go beat up on the Cavs and then wake up the next morning at 5 and jump on the next plane? He goes, but guys, since we're here and we have to be here, let's go kick their tail. And he used different language all the time, but he, he burned with a passion like that. And so in every NBA locker room, there's a pecking order that just automatically establishes itself. You, you, I didn't need to know because someone told me that Bird was the alpha and McHale was alpha number two 
and Dennis Johnson alpha number three, and then Parrish, even though he was the most quiet off the court. I saw it every day. And I saw it in their mannerisms. I saw it in the way they deferred to one another. Or, you know, and McHale is arguably one of the greatest players of all time. But when it came to McHale and Bird, McHale deferred to Bird, right? He was better. His personality was stronger. His will to win was stronger. And so it's there, PK. It, it, you know, these guys take that challenge every game. Like, yeah, we're on the road. And, but these four road games are challenging. Like a back-to-back tonight to go get Philly after, you know, you just throttled Minnesota in the third quarter. Philly's now won four or five, and Bede's now back. Little Curry's on fire. Tobias Harris presents problems. They got this kid, Maxley, Tyrese Maxley, averaging about 18, and a championship coach. You don't think they're going to be ready? Yeah. They're going to bring it, and, you know, Donovan will lead the charge to say, okay, you know, mid-December regular season game, but we want to go 4-0 on this trip. And I think that's part of it, too. You set many short-term goals of sequence along the way, and my Celtics were great at that. Like, we got to go out west, let's go get seven of these eight. Our trips out west were always eight games. And you know Donovan and Quinn are saying, guys, one at a time, but let's get all four. We got the next six at home leading up to Christmas, Forget about that. Let's go get these one at a time. Let's start at Cleveland. So I kind of, it's a great question. And I know it's football season, right? And we got three great teams in the state ripping it up and playing in big games and the NFL's winding down. But this is the things that make guys champions. A lot of hopes for a tweak in the lineup so that they've got the right combination for whatever an opponent presents in the playoffs. And although we're more of a quarter of the way into the season, we've only seen 10 games out of Rudy Gay. You want to make any statements about how he has fit and how he's going to fit into the team, or you want to see another 10 games? No, I like him. I've seen enough. Um, I saw him a lot in the Western Conference, You know, me broadcasting games for 20 years for another team, so I know him well. When he entered the league, DJ, I thought he was the most talented small forward in the game. And I'm talking raw talent. I thought he was long. I thought he was athletic. I thought he had big, broad shoulders. I thought he could handle. He could shoot. He could score inside. And you're all seeing how how easily, and I don't throw that adverb out there just lightly, right? He shoots the three ball with incredible ease. You're talking long limbs and incredible strength. It's a flick of the wrist for him, almost LeBron-like with greater efficiency. He was basically a 34% career three-point shooter for his entire career. Last three years, 375. And until last night, when I think he only makes one, missed his first five, he was way up in the high 40s for the Jazz. So I think what you're alluding to, DJ is his ability to alter the Jazz lineup come playoff time and and throw him into the mix and have him guard a big and then all of a sudden drag a big out and you'll see it tonight. Don Whiteside is not able to go again uh, because of this glute bruise or hamstring thing. It's kind of a hamstring thing that's climbing up into his glute. Uh, you got to go against a beat who went for 32 last night. I think 
you'll get a little preview of what the Jazz might do when they face a team with a viable center, whether it's Embiid in a conference final or an NBA final, or it's an Anthony Davis in the first round. But I love, I love the new Rudy Gay. I thought he was, I thought he was a little bit like Fred Couples. And I know PK is a golfer and a golf historian, so yeah. he'll get the he'll get the comparison. I got Fred it. was the most underachieving all world talent the world of golf has ever seen. <laughs> For him to win one major and less than 20 tournaments with that swing and that talent and that length, there's something that was lacking inside. I thought that was Rudy, but I was judging him from afar, right? I was the other guy's announcer, and he never delivered in a big game and a couple of playoff series, and I thought, okay, you know, now I'm kind of like, okay, he's in his 16th year, he's 35, and he's still getting after it, keeping himself in shape, and he's going to help this team contend for a title. So I kind of, I view it a little differently, but uh, thrilled that he's here and a part of the team. When, or maybe even if, do you see the Warriors and Suns cooling off a little bit? Because this 800 plus ball is absolutely incredible. Well, they're the two best teams in basketball. And I'd say two of the ten top coaches. And the Warriors are no question unique. My two favorite teams to watch are the Jazz, which is kind of fun because that's part of the gig, right? I get to watch them, get to dig in deep to the details and decipher why they're good or why they're having an off night. And then any other game on, if the Warriors are on, I'm watching them. Because it's really basketball the way it was meant to be played. They have taken the Greg Popovich slogan from years ago, we're going to give up a good shot for a better shot, and Steve Kerr has magnified that a hundred times, and then he's turned the RPMs up. We're going to go get athletic players who are versatile, who can defend, who can switch, and they're going to play fast. And we're going to teach them to play fast so that when playoff time comes, they still play fast. And, you know, it helps to have Steph who's the greatest shooter of all time. What is he, nine threes now away from Ray? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, this year he's going to surpass 3,000 threes. Amazing, right? Harden will get to 3,000 as well in three-plus years. And Damian Lillard will also get to 3,000. Those might be the only three in our little current NBA that will get to that mark, but nobody's going to get to Steph. He's 33 years old. Harden's 31, Lillard's 31. Those guys are not going to surpass him career-wise. So I don't know who out there on the younger scheme is going to go get him at the volume he does it. But I love the Warriors because they play the game the right way. Make a pass and cut. Pass, give it, you know, give it up early. You'll come around again and get it. And then very simply on the Suns, they're just great. They just have great balance. Like each position is defined while the Warriors are a little bit like the Jazz, positionless, shoot, pass, anybody can score, the Suns have definitive roles. The ultimate point guard, a perfect shooting, scoring guard, and a big who can roll and score. You can throw the ball in the post. And then athletic wings like Bridges and Crowder's kind of your enforcer, and you hope he shoots a high percentage. Both those teams are super good. 
And I would say the two top teams in the league right now and probably will be at the end. One of the things I want to see out of the Jazz, and in particular Mitchell, Mike, is that when they get in a last possession, down by one, down by two, whatever it is, and we're talking literally at the end of the game, I've been a little little bit underwhelmed with his decision-making. Now, he's their best player, and Quinn Snyder's talked about it. We've got the ball in our best in the hands of our best player. But how does he figure out, because there's no doubt he's the best player offensively for sure, how does he figure out how to make the possession to its maximum to get those points, or at least to get the great opportunity, the proverbial clean look, within the context of the offense, but knowing that he's the guy, but at the same time not trying to go one-on-five. I'm not sure that I'm articulating my question the way I want to, but I just, I'm just i wondering how he deals with that in those situations. Those situations don't pop up often, but they will. And how does he go about making the best decisions, whether that's shoot, draw and kick, whatever it might be, in those situations? Yeah, I get the question, and my answer is a little bit, well, it's related a little bit to my Warriors uh, dialogue there. You, you, you almost have to, if you don't have, let's say, a Bird, a Duncan, you know, a LeBron, a Jordan, an Anthony Davis, a Kobe, guys, Giannis, Durant, Durant for sure, uh, is probably the best in these situations at this time of our NBA, in our current NBA. But it's also physically related, right? He's gifted. Yeah. He's 6'11". You can isolate him. You're going to get a pass to him because he's just going to post or mid-post, put his arm up. You're going to get the ball. The defense then has to decide, do we double him or not? So my answer to the Jazz situation is correlates to that Warrior situation. Can you continue to play fast? And I don't mean too fast or hurried. But can you continue to attack and be aggressive late in games when the score is tight? Your booty gets a little tight, right? The magnitude of the shot means a little bit more. It's almost like the weight of a playoff game. If you miss, you lose. If you make, you win. The Jazz are not blessed with someone. They can throw the ball in the post, and he can get you a bucket. Okay? So you are a perimeter-based team. They're a three-point shooting team. They're the best three-point shooting team in the league. So you have to create scenarios that are going to go to your strengths. That's why Quinn has built the offense he's built. You built an offense based on your personnel and your attributes. We can shoot. We have guys who can make plays, but, I mean, honestly, we're not going to throw the ball to Joe with seven seconds and say, go make a play. Yeah. Not enough time, right? Joe's good in his spots, and he's clever, and he's tricky. At the end, ideally, you want Donovan to have the ball. So um, two thoughts come to mind. In the New Orleans game, down one, after Graham made the shot, I think we had maybe four to seven seconds left. Joe took the ball in. We ran a flare screen for Bogey, who'd made six threes in the game. So we ran that flare screen. He wasn't open. Second option was Donovan popping to the top of the key. He was immediately open. But Joe didn't throw him the ball. Okay, Joe looked for bogey, then he looked down to the left to Clarkson. No, no. Now he's looking at Donovan. 
But what happened was he threw it to Donovan, Rudy, who set the flare screen, then kind of leaked inadvertently and mistakenly, I'll say, up higher. So now Donovan doesn't catch it at 32 feet. He had to go to 37 feet to get it. Now when he gets it, Rudy's still kind of in the way and too late to set a screen out of position, couldn't roll. Uh-oh, what do you do? Donovan dribbled to his right. He put up an 18-footer that was contested by Ingram, and Dez lost the game. Fast forward two games, they play in Boston. It's a one-possession game. And the Jazz didn't slow down. So it didn't come down to a final shot. But they, I think it was a direct, you know, counsel from the staff, listen, let's not hold the ball, walk it up, and get ourselves in a situation where they can double us and they dictate what we do. Let's continue to push. If you remember late in that game, Donovan coming down the floor even signaled to Conley, here's where I'm going to be. And so instead of popping out, he went back door and Conley fed him with a beautiful backdoor pass. He made a layup or dunk, and it took a one-point game to a three-point game without even eight seconds gone in the possession. So their key to me is to continue to play fast or attack and let Donovan be that initiator. And, you know, if he goes off a Rudy screen, great. If they double him, fine. You've got shooters on the perimeter. You put Bogey, Conley, Clarkson, you know, Ingles out there, and if they double, we're throwing it to a guy and we'll believe in our guys that they're going to make shots of I mean, you can't be who you're not going to be or who you're not, right? They don't have – they don't throw it in the post to Bird and say, you know, just turn and shoot over that guy and talk trash while you do it. As the ball's being released. (laughs) (laughs) Even before. One time, one time, and this story, you've seen it on YouTube or on NBA Highlights. He literally, I'm on the bench, he literally, I know that comes as a shock to you that it wasn't in in the final 10 seconds, but – he literally walked on the floor and turned to the opposing team and said, they're going to throw me the ball right here. There's not a darn thing you can do about it. I'm going to turn and shoot it on this guy's face, and we're walking out of here with a win. We were on the road. And, and we, we threw the ball into him. He kind of just held it in his left side now he, with those mangled fingers, and, you know, kind of faked, and then just turned, shot over his guy, and made it. We walked out. It was the greatest thing I'd ever seen in basketball. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Anyway. And you got paid for it, man. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. He didn't get it paid enough. Right? He's, nope. making, he's making six million when I'm there. He's making six. Mikhail, two and a half. Parrish, one and a half. DJ, one. The rest of us, peanuts. And, you know, you, you weren't paying him nearly enough with how good he was. <laughs> There you go. we got to run, Mike. We'll see you tonight on the broadcast. We will definitely be watching. Oh, no, it's TNT. You don't do it tonight, do you? Uh, is tonight TNT? Is it? I thought it was. No, it's not. I, I gotta, it might be. i got to check because I last I heard when we walked out, we are doing the oh, game. Oh, good. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, so maybe, it, maybe it's the, the odd one of like the TNT yeah, couplet yeah, yeah. of three games, right. and they're going to televise the other two, and then we carry the other one. Oh, I'm being to- I'm being told it's, it's NBA TV, is what it is. Yeah, so we'll do it. You Good. got any message for you know Bowler or Thurl or better yet, Alema? Alema? Yeah. Uh, on the air, have him say yeah. the last name of that that famous Hawaiian singer that went by Is. 
I don't know if you know him. He sings that. What, I don't know who that is. Oh, but he, but he was. Oh yeah, he he he's he's deceased now. He had a big, he was way I mean way overweight, but he had a beautiful voice. And the way Alema says the guy's last name because it's got like forty seven letters and and you know thirty two vowels. <laughs> and Alema can and nail it. Oh, it is perfect the way he says it. This his first All name right. was Israel, but they just call I think they called him Is. He's a, a extremely famous Hawaiian singer. Beautiful, beautiful voice. I just love it's like it's like the softest purest jump shot when Alema says that man's last name okay so listen <laughs> Alema's I'm sure asleep right now he's not listening to us <laughs> so on the air I'm gonna say some superlative about Donovan yeah 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 and I'll see and I'll be like Alema Donovan is playing right now at such a level it's yeah. so smooth yeah, it's pure. so sweet it's not for yeah. it's like that great Hawaiian singer what's what's his name yeah, just say is. What's his last name? I'll let, yeah, I'll let him bring it up. Oh yeah, and the accent that he just—he just nails it perfectly. <laughs> it is—it is, it is the right, purest well, form of communication when Alema says that man's last name. He'll know it exactly. It, I guarantee it. The guy's like, big time famous like in the, the islands. Heavenly, the oh. heavenly or the Adamic language. All right, I'll see if I can get Alema to say it. Yeah, and you'll—you'll just—you'll—I promise you—you'll smile. I'll be, I'll be laughing because of this setup. Right, I know. But when he says, or even aside from this setup, the way he says the name is so smooth, yes. And the lemma is nothing if not smooth. Are you going to do it? So pregame or halftime? Uh, I'm thinking, not enough time at halftime. Right, I'm It'll thinking pregame. Pregame or postgame. It might be postgame. How about that for a tease? So okay, postgame is fine to... because it's a 5 o'clock start, so I can watch all the postgame. I don't have to get to bed because i got to get up so early. <laughs> so at the 5 o'clock, I can, right. I can go to your postgame bitter end because you'll be done by 9 at the very latest. So I'll, I'll either way, postgame, pregame, it doesn't matter. Ideal. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, there you go. Mike Smith, Chris Hill. Former Utah athletic director. I can see him. He's in our lounge right now, and he's just nodding because DJ's doing all the talking. Uh, but he will come in. That's why DJ isn't here right now. He will come in here in uh, about two seconds. So stay with us. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. Why don't we hear Kyle Whittingham's name more in these coaching searches? I think there's been a lot of schools that have tried to hire Kyle Whittingham. I think that Mark Harlan, who was giving him a contract extension, it seems like every six months, like, hey, Kyle, I heard you're on the phone with uh, USC. Here's a uh, another three-year extension. And then that's where it ends. You're absolutely right. So how about BYU get to that point with Kalani? Has Kalani not done enough? Is he not enough? Is he not everything that that university would want? There's a reason Kyle Whittingham's name is not reference. It's not because he wouldn't be the best hire for that university. It's because what the university's done for him. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. A reminder, when you go to your next Utah Jazz game, visit the Ford Fan Zone on Level 6. They're free papa shot games, cornhole and foosball tables. Enjoy incredible city and mountain views while relaxing, enjoying food and drink, taking in the game and socializing with friends. Time to welcome in Dr. Chris Hill, the former Utah Athletic Director, now enjoying the sun, right? pool in the summer, golf in the fall. Right. 
winter, if maybe you today ski? might help. I like to cross-country ski, okay. and I fell into something called uh, spike hiking, where if the trail is too icy, you just put some these uh, spikes on the bottom of your hiking shoes and just go out and enjoy the outdoors. So there you go. Downhill skiing is done because the grandkids are too good and it's embarrassing, so <laughs> I'll stay away from that. <laughs> and painful. So we wanted to have you in to talk about uh, the youths going to the Rose Bowl, uh, but not so much the short term, more the big picture mm-hmm. long term. And I'm curious at what point um, it all seemed real to you, like this is going to happen. The dream... All the work, we wanted to end up here, and now the youths are ending up in the Rose Bowl. You know, there's a bunch of little things that happen along the way that each of the football coaches won a big game and mm-hmm. was a step, you know. And uh, But we, um, and Urban and I have talked about it, when we beat Cal uh, on Alex's first game, and it was a packed house I kind of turned, looked to Kathy and said, we can be somebody. Now, before that, when Ronnie beat uh, uh, BYU down at BYU, that was kind of a marker, yeah. if you will. And then Urban had a marker, and Kyle's obviously Alabama was a marker. But all on the way, we kind of felt that we kept, if you think about it, we kept chipping away, mm-hmm. you know. And that made it solid, so it wasn't just a fly-by-night thing. So kind of building along the way. But at the same time, oh. What, you you got athletic director like eighty eight is that was it eighty seven eighty seven, so you get the job at that time and you're you're a young pup and you've spoken about how you know when the job if the job ever came open <laughs> your qualifications at that time weren't right. enough but nevertheless you got the job so what are you thinking in eighty seven as far as your football program well I, I tease people because I said so I'm thirty seven I'm uh, Irish Catholic Democrat from New Jersey, and I get the job at Utah. So anything's possible. There you go. And and Richie Smith, I was just talking the other day because we were reminiscing, and uh, the first big fundraising thing I did for the – we were building this football complex. It's not even close to yeah. what it is now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I went in there and sweating bullets and gave him my speech and how we're going to be great, how we're going to do this. And Richie said, you know, we love the university. When we left, he said, we love the university, but that guy's a little crazy. (laughs) And now we laugh about it because – and I left, and that was the – I always tease somebody. Richie disagrees, but he wouldn't. I said, uh, I left the thing and asked for a million dollars. To say a million dollars was really hard. A million. (laughs) And then I walked out, and they didn't flinch. I said, damn, I should have said two Two million. million. (laughs) And they called next day. said, we're in. I'm like going, damn, I made a mistake (laughs) on that one early on. But, yeah, I think I was pretty delusional from the start. I was really confident and in my own kind of quiet way. So uh, had Ron McBride on TV and was asking a, a similar set of questions. And as much as people go to games and seasons, he said if he had to pick one thing, mm-hmm. he thought it was building the stadium. Because there's just a permanence to that that elevates the program the way you know players come and go and coaches come and go. <clears throat> but the stadium, it just... It, it just made it possible to schedule differently and recruits look at you differently. And so if you come in in 87, I think the stadium opens a decade later. So how long did it take? You're asking a million for the facility. And you had to get that facility built to get the football coaches out of the basketball right. arena because you were behind right. at that point. Oh, jeez. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was oh, not I a great look. It. And they all were in the same locker room. Oh, my gosh. That's what we laugh about each generation comes back because, mm-hmm. like Jordan Gross will say, 
I can't believe these guys don't get it. And then you'll get <laughs> a year later, and somebody right. come back and say, I, we, that facility, I mean, you got it, all TVs and all. So it was kind of a building process, but it was kind of fun. Yeah. So was the stadium realistic to you right from the get-go? Was that it? With the day you get hired, was that on the list, like you got to do a stadium? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. With or without uh, the Olympics, because that was the hardest fundraiser I ever did. Because everybody thought the Olympics paid for the whole thing. Yeah. Or Eccles paid for the whole thing. And, you know, the uh, Eccles gave us their their $10 million, one of mm-hmm. their biggest gifts ever. But they, the guys borrow $52 million and say, go get them, Tiger. And uh, the Olympics gave us $7 million, but it was three years later. But everybody thought they built it. So that was the hardest fundraising. So uh, that was a really stressful time. But we all knew we had to do it. All knew. And... You know, it just had to happen. There was no option. Sure. When it happened, yeah. you know, the, as soon as it could possibly happen, we need to do it, you know. But, you know, you start off at a big stadium like that and you have some empty seats, that's tough on selling tickets, you know. But when we got that one game I told you about, everybody got on fire. Yeah, I remember the game very well. Yeah, I, Urban and I both Was agreed. it that Thursday was most, or Friday night? I don't know. It was the most important game yeah. we think we had in just two years. And then that's you funny. talked about Alex Smith, and on the other side it was a guy named Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that funny? We people don't get that. And then, you know, we all know the story. Alex got number one draft choice, and Aaron was sitting in a green room with yeah. nothing. And now Aaron is what? Alex had a really nice career. He had a fine career. He had a wonderful career. People now, don't get Aaron, it was. Aaron Rodgers Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, I always tell this story of how far I've seen the program come. I mean, I have to admit, I'm not coming to Utah. I come up, uh, born in Jersey myself, moved to Arizona, working in California. I come up here. Uh, because it was enticing for the idea to cover someone by the name of Rick Majerus, which we could go about 25 hours on that one. Um, <laughs> I got a bunch of stories. I'm trying to figure out what to do. I wrote down a bunch of them. I'm trying to figure out what to do with them. Yeah, yeah and I certainly have, uh, mm-hmm. as you know, cover working for the yeah, newspaper. You do. Yeah, you do. And I can remember in the early years, uh, I'm. you guys have a, a basketball game. It's a non-conference game in December. It's right around when bowl time is being announced. And you remember, and you, uh, you walk in those doors, and your your office is to the left. The other folks are down to the right. And they had a little table where I would come up from downstairs and write my story. So I would set yeah, up I in that, that area. Yeah. Set up in the area. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm getting. I walk in, getting the computer set up, and you had just gotten the uh, call or some type of information that you guys were going to go to the Vegas Bowl, and you came out of the office, and you were. You were just on cloud nine, yeah, man. Yeah. And you had to walk by me to walk down that hall to tell your folks. And you could just see you were so excited yeah. that Utah's going to the to the Vegas Bowl. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> like times, well, it's kind of funny because that was – I hope I do this right because I have a hard time with all the bowls now, and even when I was there. And uh, that was the first one we earned. Yeah. Okay. We went to the bowl uh, in Arizona. Tucson. And yeah. I'm on a – Thursday night, talking to my, one of my mentors, Fred Milne, he says, you just got to buy more money. You got to give them more money. Buy more tickets, even you're not going to sell them. And I'm going, oh, gosh, and here I am. I'm making a quarter-million-dollar decision on Thanksgiving night. And next day, I met with some donors. said, we got we to gotta pay $250,000 more to go. And we didn't, you know, we earned it, but, you know, we were six and six. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, that was, the Vegas one was one where I skipped out of the office. And right, I, right, I was, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, hey, guys, we earned this. Yeah. One. They're, they're asking us because we earned it. And right. That's what's so cool about the bowls along the way the last 15 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fun. 
Chris Hill joining us in studio, former Utah Athletic Director. So uh, when you look at the, the jump to the Pac-12, did it seem bigger at the time, or is it a thing you look back in retrospect and think, well, we did it because we had to do it? But man, looking back, that was, that was a bigger jump than we knew. That was gigantic. I always tell people now we we jumped the Grand Canyon. You know, if you look at it, and we, you know, we worked really hard. Uh, we kind of knew who we were. You know, we knew that Colorado had to get in, Texas had to not want it, and we had to be dressed up and ready to go and make it easy for them. You know, and I don't know if this day and age with the politics around here, if we could have jumped so quick. But that, you know, we worked so hard. But it was gigantic. It was. It was the changer in the program, I think, and no for the long term. No for the long term, I mean, it was, you know, every part of it was was good. And the fa- and the faculty, you know, there's there's a lot of research done on, you know, the Ivy League and the Big Ten and the Pac-12. You are the company you keep. If you do that thing, you say, I'm going to name a school for you. You name me the other one, Yale, Harvard. Oh, for sure, because yeah. I play football. Tufts yeah. is a great school. It's in the same area. And so, you know, when you start to say Stanford and Utah together, it kind of is a fun thing for people. So even at that point, I want to ask you about your vision of Utah going in from the athletic standpoint, because I can recall talking to you and you were saying that going forward here, when we were before, it was all about conference titles. and Could, could you win? Could mm-hmm. volleyball and whatnot. And you said, hey, now that we're going to go into this conference, using volleyball as an example, that we could finish eighth and still yeah, right. go to the NCAA. Whereas before, you couldn't do that at all. It just wasn't feasible in, in, in the WAC slash Mountain West days. And so... Uh, your vision of success for the athletic program in the Pac-12 at that point, to me, I agree with you, is an ultimate game changer. And I, and I tell this story. I was in the restroom at Sun Devil Stadium covering a game. You guys were down there playing. And Pac-12 uh, official walks in, and I introduce myself. And he's, we just love having the Utes in the conference because we know guys like you have made it such a big deal in some places in the conference. You know, we're so far down in the pecking order of uh, media attention, whereas us, we're talking mm. college football 12 months out of the year. It's because there's not 13 months. And, we're, <laughs> and, and you know, we're, we're talking everything related to the program. And that just doesn't happen. So I thought, and, I, and I'm getting a little long here, That's too. Okay. Uh, First year that the conference tournament was in Vegas, which I think was like the second year for basketball. Yeah. So the right off to the when you go in, there was like a media room there to pick up credentials. And at that point, Utah basketball wasn't very good. And I'm speaking to another guy, and he says to me, "Oh man, we're so excited to have mm-hmm. the Utes in here, but at the same time, we know okay they're down now, but they're going to be down mm-hmm. forever because there's so much passion. Yeah. So in my mind, listening to these people, I thought, hey, this transition it's going to be a little maybe a little rough early, but give it a little time and it is going to take off. What was your vision at the time, 2010, as you rolled into the conference in 2011? You know, as as an AD, you're you're sitting there going, okay, what expectations do you tell your staff? And are they disappointed or are they not? You know, every coach I vividly remember going and visit with, every quarter I would visit with all the coaches in football. What do you expect? Well, you know, going off, we want to be somebody. We always said we don't want to just be in the league. We want to be somebody. And uh, I said, guys, you know, if you get in the middle of the league, we're going to go to bowl games. And, and then they're disappointed. I said, guys, wait a minute. If I came in 
uh, 10 minutes later and said, I expect us to win championships right now and go to Bogan. They'd say, this guy's nuts. Yeah. You know, so for me, it was uh, two, two things. I mean, if I can get back to the, the whole banners and stuff in the arena and what we promoted – but it was just a, an, an opportunity to say, okay, it was, this was fun. We'd sit down and say, okay, what do we want out of this team? What, what would be good? And then I went and told the university administration, we're going into debt the first time. I'm not going to let football and basketball and gymnastics and women's basketball and volleyball, at least I listed those, to not have the resources. We had enough against us because no disparaging comment to the players we had in the program, but they were Mountain West players. Sure. So you had to transition them out. Right, so I exactly. said, uh, and our football facility from a, a $16 million project became 32. You know, so we had to really ramp it up, but the fans were, you know, obviously into it. And they knew, and we just as a staff said, hey, we got to be somebody. We just can't be down in the bottom because you've established yourself as somebody. And then we just kept building on that. And uh, my expectations, uh, getting back to the story about the volleyball team, I said, let's take down all the banners everywhere that are league championships. And let's just put NCAA stuff, because that's what you do now. I mean, you can come in fourth in a league like I think Arizona did years ago when they won the Nash- national yeah, championship. Fifth. <laughs> so you don't want people walking in there and, uh, and um, saying, geez, when was the last time we won a league championship? Jeez, yeah, 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 and yeah. Cal has a banner up from 1950s about football. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it seems so. And I thought that's our goal. Our goal is to get in postseason play and do some damage. That's what I used to say. You know, uh, I the advantage of being there for a while when this all happened is I didn't have to put together some 80 page five year plan. You know, I was able to kind of put it together in regular terms, so we didn't have to spend a lot of time making a five-year plan that would impress everybody else. Uh-huh. You know, we, it's pretty simple. You now we had all the th- we we would have a list of all the facilities that we needed to improve, and we had deadlines on them. And you said, if we don't do this, we're gonna do this financially, or we got to do this. And and so I'm being long-winded, but it was a, a long, fun process uh, for me personally, and it gave everybody like, wow. We're in the big time. We somebody would somebody uh, the late Cleone Eccles. I'll never forget. And she was one of the most wonderful ladies. And she walked into one of our facilities and said, "Wow, this is us." Yeah. And she goes, "This is us." This is before obviously the Pac-12, but we worked hard at it. But it was fun. Chris Hill, former Utah Athletic Director, joining us in studio. He's going to stay with us for a little while. Coming up in the next segment, we'll talk to him about three big coaching hires that shaped the football program over 30 years. The long climb from the bottom or middle of the whack mm-hmm. to the Rose Bowl. We'll talk coaching hires with Chris Hill next. Stay with us. Not good. This is Unright. Guys are doing a hell of a job. We have with us Evan Dudley, the UAB beat writer. Anything you feel about the game? Who's going to win it? First thought, I'd probably have to go with BYU. Obviously, they had a great season. Uh, you know, better Pac-12 record than half the Pac-12. They beat the <laughs> Pac-12 champion, you know, head-to-head. But I think BYU, uh, probably the better talented, better team. But UAB is also a team that gets the most out of its players. They're going to play physically, and they're going to try to give themselves a chance there in the second half against a really good team. It's unbelievable. Catch Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Keering. Weekdays from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. It's the fifth annual Black Friday sale. It's been extended through December at Davis Vision. Tired of glasses or contacts? Get LASIK now and save $1,400. There are limited spots available, so act now. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. 
Chris Hill, join us in studio, former Utah Athletic Director, a little memory lane stuff. <laughs> How do you get from the bottom or middle of the whack, depending on the year, but that's mm-hmm. where the program was in the 70s and 80s. You get hired in 87, and here it is 35 years later, and Utah is in the Rose Bowl. So a lot of things happened. And when I asked Mac, you know, he went straight to the stadium. But a coach isn't going to say, hey, these coaching hires have been right. something, right? right? I mean, there's some things you're just not going to say. Yeah. Uh, but I think the rest of us can say, hey, these coaching hires have been something. Mm-hmm. You can clearly see how every one of these last three coaches was the right person at the right time, elevated the program, and accomplished important stuff along the way. I'm curious, was there ever a time when you were hiring those coaches that you that – you, almost went to somebody else or didn't think this person would come? I mean, mm-hmm. were they all slam dunks or could any one or multiple of them fallen apart? I guess we know about Kyle because that played yeah. out publicly with BYU, but I'm, I'm curious about elsewhere. Yeah, the Urban thing, you know, that was until he got off the plane and signed his contract, I, I was still petrified. You know, I mean, he came in. I don't know if I told you guys his story, but we go visit him, three coaches in uh, Denver and airport with Bernie Matchin. And, you know, we leave and we say, okay, well, you know, Urban's our guy, Mm -hmm. you know. So, uh, you know, we were still supposed to go visit Joe Glenn in Montana. And uh, you guys raise your hand if it's boring, okay? Because then no, we we're can good. move to something else. Yeah. Okay, so so we say, all right, we got to go. And we said, Urban, we got to have you come out on Sunday or Monday. And he goes, geez, I, I can't because I've got to go to uh, something in New York that honored uh, Earl Bruce or something, and something like that. And uh, so Bernie and I say, okay, we're going to fly to uh, Montana and talk to Joe. And, and then um, the, it's fogged in. We can't go. So uh, Bernie and I say, well, well, let's get some breakfast. So we went to breakfast place, and I go home. I think, man, this is the time in coaching. You have no responsibility right now. Nobody, everybody, you know, there's nothing I have to do. I'm going to take my son to go to a movie, you know. I walk in the door, and Kathy goes, red alert, red alert. I'm going, what what the hell is this? And she goes, Urban's coming out. And he called up, and I told him, you're his number one prospect. And I said, well, yeah, but that didn't help my negotiation. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of put me in a tough position. But at that time, he, you know, they, they didn't really have, he didn't have really a big-time lawyer. So it was more he and I. And then we, of course, worked through the night with his lawyer to get the contract. The late John Morris, we're sitting in a hotel on a Tuesday, but he's got to tell his team on a Wednesday. And we're waiting. And we're waiting. And we're waiting. I'm going, oh, God, what are you going to do? And... Uh, you know, I've had other friends since then. In fact, Urban with Notre Dame was an interesting story. But so Urban was scary. We all know Kyle was seven o'clock was no. I said, you know, I'll go find a coach now, and and uh, I still think Utah's going to have better athletes than BYU. I just feel that. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, give me a little bit of time, and he called back at nine o'clock. And he's coming. Ronnie was a little bit different because we didn't have his attractive job. Yeah. And each coach we hired, we kind of needed something different each time to improve the program. And we all know Mac had a great relationship with uh, the different segments of the population sure. of recruits. Yeah, you gotcha. know, I would say, you know, uh, he, he had a great relationship with Polynesians and he kind of understood uh, the LDS thing. Sure. You know, he, would, yeah. he took players early on that I'm not so sure were good enough for the program, but he could prove, at least I didn't even talk to him that, so he might not have thought that far, but I kept thinking, yeah, you take some of these guys and maybe they're not as good, but then you can prove to the really good ones that you're on your way back. So the hardest thing is letting somebody go. I mean, we're down against BYU 49 to nothing with 542 to go in the second quarter. 
my dad's there from New Jersey, and he's going, this is a pile of you know what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think to our fans, now nobody will remember that, but you imagine us being down 49 to nothing to freaking even the you know Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now. <laughs> and we're sitting there, so I let Fossil go, and I'm just getting the hell beat out of him. And you know, and I and you, you just don't hear from the people that agreed with what you do. You right. know, it, 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 those people are silent, and that's why some of the people in the department were so warm and wonderful about it. But man, I called my dad. And he goes, "Why don't you just move back? How do you deal with these people?" <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's about winning, Chris. What the hell's going on? And yeah. so that was kind of a start. And then hmm. McBride was, uh, you know, not as hard because he really wanted to be here. And we didn't have the resources to really go get somebody else. So each one had a story. Each one kind of made, you know, Ronnie got us good players and it and beat BYU yeah. realistic. That was know. so important. And I don't know that that oh. registers with people now. But no, that was that, that and not Jurgensen field goal once is a fluke, but three in a row yeah, four, sets it apart from yeah. the win in the seventies and the win in the eighties. Yeah, I told Ronnie about two years ago, and I don't want to be disparaging any BYU fans, but we beat him at home twice. And what they used to do is they used to have their senior blanket award after right the after game. the game. They were so confident, right? And then we beat them in '94, and our band's going crazy and we beat them in 96 and they really did have to change it so we we helped change your tradition not that we did it you know I, I thought it was rude that we would be playing during that but but I think you know beating BYU at BYU was a marker you know and then three in a row was a real marker and uh and one of our plans was to hey let's see if we can split with BYU because when I got the job we were two and 18 over the last two decades and they weren't close games yeah you know? <laughs> so anyway, and urban you know Showed us what big time is, you know. And Kyle just took the toughest job. When you follow somebody like what Urban did, I mean, that's a tough job. And he had his Waterloo where it almost fell apart. But you know, he's done. Obviously, he's done a great job. Yeah, I think one of the things that you deserve a lot of credit for is after you got into the Pac-12. Yeah, the first season, and they were able to be successful. I think he won eight games. The division wasn't very good. And then he goes five and seven the next two years. And, you know, I, I talked to him, like, uh, after the the second, the, I think the last game that went five and seven. And I talked to him, like, five hours later, and he had no energy. I mean, he was just rock bottom. I mean, these people take this so hard. And I'm sure you know that, too. You've seen it in these coaches. And, I mean, he couldn't even muster a sentence. I said, I'll talk to you later. It was like six hours after the game. Yeah. And then you did not let him go. I wonder in today's world how much pressure there would be on the AD and the university to let a coach go who went two, five, and sevens. And it doesn't look like we have no idea what's ahead. How did you deal with that? What was going on at that time? Because two, five, and sevens at the same time, I can't tell you the number of people. I got a ton of Ute fans in my oh, neighborhood. Yeah. They want me to pay this. They keep increasing the price. I'm not doing it. That's it. This is the last season. And I'm, yeah, right. I mean, if I had a buck for every time my neighbor, this is the last season. They said it like five. Now they don't say it. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> now, now, now. We right. can... But at the time, there was all this stuff going on. How difficult was it to stay the course? Well, you know, um, well, not really that difficult. I'll tell you what happened. Uh, I, did, I, I, I didn't want to pull the trigger, although I was getting a lot of pressure, both internally and externally. But after the game, I walked in. <laughs> this is what I loved. Before we got into Pac-12, you didn't have as much bureaucracy. Once we got into Pac-12, everybody was on the bandwagon. Everybody wanted to be a part of decisions. And lot, some things are simple. 
You know, they're not. I always tell somebody if, if a coach walked into my office and resigned, would I be happy, sad, or ecstatic? You know, I thought about Connell. I think he's, he needs a chance. But after the game, and he looked at me like, why are you telling me this? I walked in, I'll never forget, because I never was down on the sideline during a game. I would come I know down you after, and I didn't right. want to be in the, I didn't stay in the locker room when I know they you presented didn't. things. Yeah. I waited in the hallway. Right. And he comes out, and I said, I said we're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Don't listen to anybody. We'll be fine. So at that moment, and he looked at me like, what do you mean I'll be fine? You know, uh, and we're fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And he had his Waterloo. I think that's the year we lost twenty-seven to nothing at UNLV. Right. That, that was, was his, that was before. That, that was, was his, his Waterloo. Mountain, that was his Mountain West Waterloo. And Which then was also was yeah. was something that was important mm-hmm. that he rebounded from. So, right. he's, so he's had like two reboundings. Yeah. And and I think that you you got to be realistic. And we were realistic. And then Kyle, you know, I had a lot of faith that he. Uh, he knew football, and he was tough. He is tough. He is tough. And, uh, you know, I just hung with it. You know, I thought it was simple. A lot of people didn't, but I thought it was simple. So, so you saw, excuse me, Dave, okay. you saw something in him? Well, yeah, I, I didn't see this. I didn't see the Rose Bowl, <laughs> but I thought he could be in the top three or four of the league. You know, and the way we were recruiting and all that stuff, I, I always <clears throat> thought that, we weren't a national program. We wanted to become national, and we started to get some kids from national places, you know, Florida and other places. And, and I thought, you know, we're improving our recruiting. So, you know, it, it was it was hard, but not as hard as other things I had to do. Okay. So the the two times the program has not been in a glorious spot under Kyle. At the start, he's after that Vegas loss, he's sixteen and thirteen. Right. And he's trying to follow the man, which is hard. And I don't know if people remember, but the roster really emptied out after the Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> yes, the cupboard got real bare. Yeah, so did. that was part of it. But at the same time, you're wondering, oh, is this real? I remember asking PK after that, like, is this really going to work? I remember that. Yeah, it was at the end of a show. Is this really going to work? Like, don't play radio. And, and he was like, 50-50, I can see it working. But I can also see where it doesn't. But then compared to the Pac-12, I thought in the Pac-12, the two five and sevens weren't great. No, but there no. were a bunch of games where they weren't that far away, right. and they were. He was talking about Pac twelve athletes, and it's changing. Right. And you could—that's a, that's a thing I remember out, now. I remember it. that now that we really weren't fully equipped. I didn't think the Pac twelve that quote unquote slump was. I don't want to say it wasn't a big deal because it's a big deal, but it, it didn't strike like at six when you're sixteen wins and thirteen losses in the Mountain West, and you're in your third year, right. and Vegas smokes you. Yeah, we follow enough programs that we know other programs have taken left turn and headed right. south at that point. Yeah, yeah, and I and I that was a scary time because I thought to myself, man, what happens if this continues? Yeah, uh, you know, we're in trouble. Right, you know, but I, I think that we had some good stuff going on there and uh, different kind of recruits coming in and. You know, one of our scheduling things, which you guys always rip me about, is, <laughs> is uh, I made sure that we were three and zero going into the. Oh yeah, we you're three and zero no matter who you play. Uh-huh. You're in the top twenty, no matter who you play. You look at it, look at it next year. We go to the Alabama, and not no disparaging. To, we played Weber State and had a tough game. So Kyle, if you look at his record, he's like. What like thirty and one in non-conference, you know? And we thought, you know, you give them three wins to get started, thirty and two. So well, this year, this year, oh, that's right. Forgot. BYU and Utah State. I forgot that one. game. Oh, I, yeah. I, I forgot that one. But oh, three, San Diego State. Yeah, now. yeah. 
Yeah. So fun. anyway, he he got a start on that to help mitigate how tough the league was, and we had to. So the you know if we could go to bowl games when we were in the Pac-12 early on, that kind of even though the record was, would you have to be three and six to be six and six? Basically, yeah, yeah. 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 So I mean, if you get if you get three wins, uh, and who thought I, I, who thought we'd beat BYU that many times in a row? Uh, I don't know. Maybe we did, but anyway, it was. Um, a good way of also mitigating some of the challenges. Mm-hmm, sure. All right, one more segment with Chris Hill. We will do that next. Stay with us, the former Utah athletic director, talking about the the climb from the bottom or middle of the whack to the Rose Bowl. More with Chris Hill in a moment. Stay with us.